He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I want to be a man, man cop, and stroll right Welcome into town. Welcome to the God Whispers. I'm Craig Denofri. I'm Bill like Swirla. The, the monkey song. I'm the monkey song. Louis Prima. That's kind of a I like Louis Prima. Prima. Makes me want to go out and eat Italian. You gotta, you know, I always I think of the big at the uh, big big night night Timpano, yeah. Yes. Big night. Oh, you have tuned in to the manly doctors of divinity, the irreverent reverends of religiosity. Two pastors basically engaged in one big career-limiting move right here. Disturbing yet compelling. Absolutely. That's us. If you want to call the Skype line, the Manly Doctors Hotline, Manly Durs 13-626-593-7713. The Mothership, godwhispers.com or .org. They're both working. We had a server migration. We now have a high-speed server to uh, service all your God Whispers needs. Wow. Also, godwhispers at gmail.com. If you want to leave a message, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook and all those other places. And we've got a special guest today. We do, a third microphone. The Reverend Jonathan Fisk himself, the twitchy <laughs> one from YouTube. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're all audio. We don't do video. That's right. You and I, we don't do... Oh, no, good. Well, that's because I have the I have the legs for audio more than video. <laughs> We're going to be talking about his book, Broken. Oh, it's broken. Oops, I, th- I thought it was that. broke. Uh, no, we're broke. That's you. We're broke. He's <laughs> Craig, broken. Craig, broadcasting live from mom's, mom's basement. basement. That's Just right. dead broke. And um, yeah, two, so two monkeys on an ottoman. That's, that's what you. <laughs> we're gonna. Here. I think we're gonna forego the usual banter today, which means that half of our clientele is gonna be happy, and the other half, that is the other four of them, uh, are gonna be ticked off. Well, but it is what it is. But I, I think this is. We haven't done a third microphone in yeah. No, Jonathan, I, I, are you there? I, I am here. I'm oh, smiling loudly at all your jokes. He's, nice. He's a little. Uh, he's a little quiet over there. Well, he One he can be introverts. he can be quiet. Yeah. But he's quite animated, as you know from his video podcast, Worldview Everlasting. Yeah, he's twitchy on there. Uh, as I uh, for your uh, your Concordia <laughs> Publishing House promo, you know you have a promo department. Do you know this? Yeah, yeah, I've been uh, working with them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because we got emails, and and they basically wanted you to be on God Whispers Radio. So we we said absolutely. Now we, of course, there's no such show as that, but we, you know, we we work flexible, and uh, and they also you were termed a YouTube sensation. 
Yeah, the hype, huh? Um, isn't yeah. that neat? You get you get 500 hits in the LCMS, and it's a sensation. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's right. It, it's it's all relative. Celebrity is 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 very much a relative thing. How, how does it feel to be a celebrity pastor in the LCMS? That that's kind of an oxymoron, I know. But but yeah, really. yeah. You'd like to say it's humbling. It's kind of depressing. Maybe the. <laughs> Because, again, it's like we don't have any clue just how big the Protestant Christianity is and what a true sensation is. Um, And so we get a little tiny blip on the radar, and uh, we've got to make a big deal about it. So what I see when I hear that is I just kind of shake my head. We've got so much ahead of us to try to do to to send a dart into the heart of American evangelicalism if we want to impact them. I know Pirate Christian Radio is is trying to do that. God Whispers is trying to do that. World River Lessons is trying to do that. But we're we're small potatoes, um, and so it's not really humbling. It's more like, come on, let's uh, let's work a little harder. Of course, I think the institution of the LCMS works against this a lot. Now, that's not really what we want to talk about today. But no, we uh, try to avoid those institutional like, discussions as much as possible. You know, it's like we want to close down all all free thought. You know, I still remember from seminary and even going out my first years in the parish, hearing from above me, you know, be innovational, think outside the box, do something different. And the moment I started doing that uh, on YouTube, I had the same guys turn around saying, now you can't do that. I uh, don't want to do that. <laughs> that that's uh, right. No, no good deed goes unpunished in our circles, man. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. What, what kind so. of objections have you gotten to your, uh, to, I, I don't want to get into names or anything, but I'm, I'm curious what the objections have been. What, to, oh, well, to some of it was, it was like, like your own joke is, uh, well, this is your career here you're messing with. You know, I was trying to protect you from doing damage to yourself, uh, yada, yada, yada. And mainly it was because I'm, you know, speaking sound Lutheran theology, which is not always uh, kosher in well, the that's, LCMS. Well, that's very least... career-limiting in the Missouri Synod by itself. <laughs> <so that's>... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially, especially five years ago, four years ago. I mean, things have changed a little bit um, in the climate in the last uh, three years, but uh, even now— it's kind of like you gotta you gotta play with the right people in the right way, and uh, oh, woe to you if you attack them. I, you know, I think the worst came down um, when I did a, a video questioning some of the videos that were released by the uh, the National Youth Gathering itself, oh. and some of the things they were promoting oh. uh, as like the best parts of the of the gathering. And uh, when I questioned that, man, that came down fast. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> the thing is is you don't want to strike near the heart of the beast; you'll get into trouble. Yeah, no, don't don't shoot sacred cows, even no, if you're just no, hitting no, them no. with tranquilizer darts. Uh, you know, it's just not not a good. Now that that kind of leads into your book uh, in a natural sort of way because. Um, a video, a video podcast, or what would they call these v- v- vlogs? Um, is that, that yeah, the, yeah? Vlog but, kind of fell out. Video podcast is more what people say. I think. Yeah, I, I, I like that because it, 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 things are getting too acronymish for my. Well, you know, when you can't communicate with another human being without the Urban Dictionary and just Google just to figure out what the heck they're talking about, you know, either a you're getting old or b we're becoming incomprehensible. And in my case, in my case, it's kind of a combination of the two. But but here's here's my thought: is I, I had a pastor uh, back before I went to the seminary. Who um, uh, his his advice was this: he says, never put your theology in writing until you're approximately fifty five years old or older. Uh, mm-hmm. The reason being that once it goes in writing, everybody you're fair game for everybody. And the adjudication process takes about 10 years, at which point you can retire with full pension and just kind of set off yeah. in the sunset. So, so now you're taking, a, I think, a considerable, far more considerable risk at a young age by uh, putting yourself down in print. 
I, I actually have a clip of that video that Jonathan's talking about. Let, let's listen to it. I'm going to come at you like a spider monkey. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Talladega Nights. Oh, I thought that was Jonathan. Um, look, look, a couple of, your, your book is entitled uh, Broken, subtitle, Seven Christian Rules. The Christian is in quotes that every Christian ought to break as often as possible. Now, first question, and I have good friends who have written for CPH. Uh, they, they were books that um, eventually CPH took and, and published, so I'm kind of familiar with the process. Is that your title? Uh, minus, let's see, minus one word. <laughs> it was it was actually as often as humanly possible. I, I threw one more adverb in there. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, that that is my title, uh, and um, they they've been very generous in uh, trying to let me be as creative as possible in the process, which uh, I think is a big step for for CBH. They uh, they really are trying to to uh, I don't know what's the right word step outside a bit more. But even even then, uh, one too many adverbs was one too many adverbs. So. <laughs> it didn't fit on the second line. We're, we're I tried be... to argue, you know, the whole point is the, the, t- the subtitle is supposed to be excruciatingly, incomprehensibly, overly long uh, as sort of a postmodern tribute to oh. uh, annoying meaninglessness Yes, uh, and, and over, overstating everything. Yes. Uh, it should have been that, questions. That it should have just been a barrage of questions that are unanswered. That's really the, I yeah. mean, that's the key right there. Yep, yep. So, Jonathan, one one of the first questions we have to ask is, why are there so many fonts in this book? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That page Uh, layout is dizzying. It's dizzying. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That was part, again, of them trying to to step out a little bit. I pitched an idea for the the kind of postmodern edginess of the book using my own meager word processing skills on, on the introduction. Um, and then their art department took it and ran with it. Um, <laughs> overall, I'm, I'm really, really content with it. I mean, they're, they're doing something that CPH doesn't normally do. And for a first shot, uh, compared to a lot of what, what else is out there in the kind of postmodern, edgy church publishing, uh, they, they hit it pretty well. Um, you're right, some of the fonts are, are all over the place. I think usually <laughs> they serve a purpose. What, what I like is sometimes they take stuff that, and they make it really large and artsy with the font, but that's actually part of the text, the paragraph and so you'll you'll read right into this cutout that's that's text and then keep going um and then putting in all the woodcuts um i had i had uh pitched the idea just using kind of lutheran classic woodcuts uh but they they ran with that and and uh, did more of uh kind of the the weird what do you call it um steampunky edge that that they gave to yeah it. So, i mean t- tell us about the woodcuts i'm looking at just the one in the first the, the first chapter there it's got the a skeleton of a fish hanging in a window and uh, i mean these these are like really out there what what's this about yeah well they're uh, some of it's the artist. The, uh, the artist. They had two artists who worked on it. One got sick, and so she couldn't finish it. So you, you can, if you look carefully, you can notice a shift in the style um, between the uh, early book and the latter book. But they, I think they did a pretty good job keeping it whole. They're they're trying to play with some of the ideas in that chapter, whether it's mysticism or rationalism or moralism, which end up being you know the, the first three chapters, um, and yet uh, doing it in in almost a. Uh, now I lost the guy's name, the famous artist who who really got into abstract. Picasso is that Picasso? Well, yeah. a lot of those. Uh, uh, actually, the those line drawings they almost have an M.C. Escher esque quality. Sort of, yeah, them. yeah. And and a, a circus of the absurd 
yet with a, a theme behind it. And the way they got they got to that I mean, now the the chapter heading images are far more absurd than in the rest of the book they're they're more like one image at a time, but they actually took multiple woodcuts and then um, bled them together, cut you know did, did their photoshopping work and uh, tried to create uh, an emphasis on the focus of that book. <clears throat> and if say without having it right in front of me, let's see if I can find that that one you're talking about. I, I got to admit, sure I got to admit that some of them is. are a little Monty Python esque. <laughs> well, it, this is the it's this true. is the introduction. So you have this woman playing a song. You have this uh, world you can't seem to make sense of, and then you got a dead creature with an anarchy symbol, you know, flowing in the sky. And yep. The whole the whole point of that early section is about loss of faith in American Christianity, um, which seems to be uh, uh, singing a siren song: "Come follow us, come do what we say." And yet, all you find is uh, uh, confusion, death, despair, uh, people of, uh, losing faith, pastors burning out, things like that. Um, and it's kind of a maze, you know, how do you find your way out of this maze? Um, so, you know, some of it's open to your interpretation. Whenever you get into postmodern art, there's almost, it's more about gut reaction than it is about actually saying something clear. Um, and so the art does do that a little bit. Hopefully the chapters answer that by giving you a real clear, um, clear something to think about. Well, how did you get into this maze? What, what, what started you on this trek to writing this book and, and what was the impetus behind <clears throat> it? That that could be a very long story. I'll try to keep it short. Um, yeah, we got you know, I, my my undergrad is in creative writing, um, which wasn't just so I could get A's and have a high GPA. Um, it was uh, actually something I wanted to do. Uh, and my my <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is gone. Uh, my goal, my dream at the time was to write uh, fiction novels, science fiction, fantasy. I, I don't know something like that. And um, and so I always wanted to write books in general. Um, one of my English profs really uh, emphasized not all creative writing is fiction writing, and I, I didn't really know what to make of that when he first said that. Um, but then as as I went through seminary, it started to make a little more sense, and I started working on ideas for books even when I was at the SEM. Never really got through them. You got plenty to do, and you know, once you got in the parish, uh, life hits pretty hard, and you got lots and lots to do. Um, but then after Worldview Everlasting started taking off, uh, Scott Kinnaman, an editor at CPH, sent me an email out of the blue one day and said, you know, uh, you ever thought about, about writing a book? Um, to which I responded, well, pretty much it's it's been a lifelong ambition. Um, so we, we started pitching the idea of me pitching an idea to CPH. Um, and he also then mentioned that uh, he'd really like to see something that was aimed at uh, the confusion of law and gospel and American evangelicalism which is also near and dear to, to my, my heart, as it were. Uh, one of my, my – I'm using evangelical language here – one of my passions uh, has been uh, being one who came out of American evangelical uh, inner varsity, praise and worshipy uh, legalism, um, uh, wanting to help other Christians that are still kind of trapped in that, that are pious people. I mean, they, they want to be faithful Christians, but they don't have the, the tradition, uh, the, the history of teaching to help them find a way out of it. Uh, I want to reach that group before they end up becoming atheists, like many of them do. Um, so we kind of put all those pieces together and, and pitched an idea. CPH had me start writing it. At the time, it was, it was already called Broken, and it was Seven Christian Rules, but it didn't have quite the form that it eventually took. The, the more I wrote on the topics, the more uh, it, it revealed itself to have a certain structure to it that 
for whatever reason, took after Adolf Kaberle's The Quest for Holiness. You guys familiar with that work? Mm-hmm. Yes. You guys remember Excellent that from seminary? Yeah. Pretty heady book. I mean, it's not the thing you're going to pick up on a Friday afternoon just to read through, but really uh, profound in its ability to pinpoint some of the common flaws in human thinking uh, that lead us to usurp uh, gospel uh, and place ourselves in the center of that gospel. So as as these rules started to take shape, I, I began to notice that they were actually following after uh, the format that he had given. So I ran with that, too, uh, and, and used it to complete the structure uh, of the book. Um, which then leads you back to uh, justification. So ultimately, it's a book about law and gospel and justification, although, as, as Brian Wolfmuller is wont to say, that the real goal is to speak it with an American accent, not just to repristinate um, you know, Peeper, not that there's anything wrong with Peeper, but if we're just walking around repristinating Peeper on the street, people are going to look at us like we're nuts. Um, so to try, to try to actually speak what Peeper spoke into the present context without losing any of it, and, and this is what came out of it. Um, two years of work, went through some peer review, which was really helpful. You guys know, uh, like Adrian Dore um, uh, did a peer review for me. Another uh, really uh, heady lady uh, from our church body named Melissa DeGroote did a peer review for me. And, uh, so it's, it's been through a lot of drafts, but I think comes out being exactly what we wanted it to be, uh, a book targeted at American evangelicalism's confusion of law and gospel, saying, hey, here's the answer, but without saying, um, you got to be a Lutheran before you read the book to, to appreciate what it says. You're so wise. <laughs> Liar. Miniature Buddha covered in hair. <laughs> you got, you, we're, we're testing out our new collection of uh, movie clip quotes. Sorry. It's, uh, it's, Sorry you're what, was the last one? what was the last one that said? Miniature boot? You're, Buddha. You're like a miniature Buddha. Covered, covered with, with hair. Miniature Buddha. That's from, nice. the, from the Anchorman. <laughs> Ron Burgundy. Yeah, we won't be engaging in any cheap jokes like what it was like to lose the election or things like that. We're just going to leave that aside. Blue, you're yeah, my yeah, boy! Yeah. That will make sense to the radio listeners anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I think your visage is uh, well known. Hey, um, <laughs> I... I want to I want to look at the 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 last of your seven nevers. I know you want to talk about the first three, but I I, I always read uh, most magazines and, in, and indeed some books backwards. He, it's he just always a, ruins the the end of the book. Yeah, you know? I do. He I, gets I do. To the who done it before this, he finds this, out what he, what he did. This is a spoiler alert. You know. <laughs> just, oh wait a minute, we got to clear out. That's the, no, 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 not a homeschooler alert. I was, I was alert. trying to get some sort of alert there. That's a spoiler you're, you're seventh, and I like that, that you have seven. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a lucky number. I play it all the it's time a in Vegas. Number, isn't it? It's a holy yeah. number. It's the number of the, the seventh day. It's God's number. It's, you know, I mean, it's everything right. Uh, six rules would have really made you quite suspect with the evangelical crowd, which is, you, as you say, your target. By the way, your target audience, what, what age group are you really focusing? This, this has a, I, I, as I was paging through it, I was trying to conceive um, who, would, who would kind of stay with it. Because admittedly, it's a little tough to stay with sometimes. Um, sure, yeah, sure. Because it's, as you say, it's a different style of uh, theological writing than we're accustomed to in our really closed and narrow Lutheran circles. So that's not a critique so much as just an observation that we're kind of outside of our comfort zone here. But what's, what's, the, what's kind of the age group that you have in mind when you're writing? What's your, who's your implied reader here? Yeah, uh, it's the same, same target that I have with the videos, which is uh, 20 to 40-year-old males. Uh, and I would even call them, in one sense, disenfranchised males, not because they don't have the vote, 
but because they're kind of no one targets them anymore. Uh, <laughs> they they become the uh, the the one ostracized uh, bit of our culture, and yet it seems like uh, if you target them, you can you can kind of hit everybody else. Everyone else sort of uh, has an edge that they've picked up on. Uh, they're they're the next leaders in one sense, not that ladies can't lead, of course they can, but, um, and, and I've seen this with the videos though, so I'm targeting 20 to 40 year old males, but the, those things are hitting everybody. I got grandmas, I got kids, um, blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of who the target audience is here. Uh, and, and thinking that 20 to 40 year old male who's grown up in an evangelical church who still wants to be a Christian, but is starting to wonder about the authenticity of his tradition, and is maybe looking at Rome, is maybe looking at atheism, is maybe looking at Hinduism. Uh, he just doesn't know anymore, but he knows that what he's got is killing him uh, very, very slowly. Um, in that way, I have, a, I guess, I have a lingering hope that this will be read by um, by young pastors also, although they're not really the target. Uh, but certainly, a young evangelical pastor that picked this thing up and and uh, struggled with it uh, would find himself uh, really benefiting from uh, from what it has to say for for his life as a pastor uh, for his preaching um, but again it's uh, i've had one um uh, one local recent LCMS convert who's now a member at our church uh, read through this as he's been helping me with some Facebook stuff and uh, promotions and stuff. And he comes out of a uh, Lutheran pietism background, so officially Lutheran, but not really at all. You know, his church body doesn't even insist on infant baptism. Kind we, of we, we all come out of a Lutheran pietism background. <laughs> sure. But, but, I mean, this guy, I mean, he, oh, in, in ways that are, are even difficult for, for us to imagine. Um, I mean, they weren't, they weren't debating infant baptism at your, uh, your church as a kid, right? No, I got, um, I got, I got baptized in the fifth week. We just dedicated babies. In, in fact, uh, come to think of it, the, the reason he is at our church is because his pastors, two of them, who were both teaching infant baptism, ended up being, uh, Basically removed by the voters' assembly for doing so. It was over the issue of whether you baptize infants. They, they were loose, they were removed for baptizing infants. They were for it. Wow. They were for it, and they were oh, removed. Oh, they were for, for it, and they were removed because they were for baptizing infants. Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, accused that, of being uh, dissenter or d- d- divisive, uh, teaching divisive theology. That, that ain't Lutheran. I mean, we can pretty much. Uh, that's, <laughs> right. not, that's not a tough one so, to prove there. But Jonathan, you're, so I bring this up to say that you know he when he started reading this to start uh, finding some quotes to put on the Facebook promotion stuff, he just devoured it. It hit him exactly where he was. Ah, okay. Um, so, and he's the target. You know, he's a, he's a 35-year-old father of, of four struggling in American pietism, yep. and it, it nailed it. So, you're, you're like me. You're an adult convert to Lutheranism. Uh, what is your background exactly? What, what churches were now, you in? You, you, you kind of quit like I did, didn't you? Yeah, I was I was born into an LCMS house. My dad's oh, okay. a Lutheran musician, um, but I was done by by sixteen. Um, and moralistic therapeutic deism, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much what it was. And the morals were lax because the therapy needed to be uh, with women <laughs> and uh, and drink and uh, and drugs eventually. Um, and so I was out of the church uh, for a good solid uh, three three to five years. Um, and it was uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and a small Calvinist church plant uh, that brought me back, both at the same time, uh, you know, one on the college campus and one, one off the campus. 
I spent some time at a, at a PC USA church as well in their, their college group. Um, and then, uh, I spent some time at my LCMS church again, but it was more of a church growth church by that point. And so not really getting Lutheran distinctives at all. But when I wanted to, to, you know, go help people make decisions for Jesus, um, I knew I had to go to a seminary to do that. And so I went to the seminary of my father's, <laughs> not really realizing that there was a difference. Uh, and went to St. Louis, uh, as Concordia St. Louis, that's where I found uh, Lutheranism and, and really was converted there. Uh, you know, I was a Christian before that, but, but baptism saves? Nah, <laughs> and you, you, no way. You got in the ministry the hard way. Uh, my background at Calvary Chapel, the cigarettes, whiskey, and wild, wild women qualified you to be a pastor right there. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't even right. have to go to seminary. Street cred, baby. Yeah. I mean, you know, the more, you know, a the gang... more screwed up your life was, the more qualified you are for the a, a gang past would really help, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and if you have yes. and if yes. you have some knife fight scars, that would be really— Yeah, if you that, murdered someone, you're in. That would put you over the top. You're but in. All right, enough right, of that. Because uh, you got the true transform life. Oh, that's, that's right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Walking example. The bigger lies you can tell, the better pastor you Never Never number seven, <laughs> never follow a rule in order to justify yourself seriously. Yeah, you want me to... Over the line! <laughs> what, do you, what do you make of that? Never follow a rule. Now, you know, me, the, the habitual rule breaker, I love this. I love this rule. Of course, if I never follow a rule, then I can't follow this one either, but let's not go there. Never follow a rule, but in order to justify yourself, seriously. Expand. Yeah, it's it's where the whole book is going, obviously. It's the last chapter. Um, And it is attempting to pin down that that the standard lie that we buy, the standard deflection that the devil gives us to, to divert our eyes from Christ crucified for us, is to get us to try to justify ourselves. And it doesn't necessarily have to fall into the, you know, uh, I'm earning merit in a Roman Catholic Church kind of way. But if you, if you take that word justify and play with it, what does it mean? Uh, to, to make straight, right? We justify our margins. Um, to fix our life. To make the things that we think are broken no longer broken. Uh, and we keep... Uh, making for ourselves rules and following the rules of other people who are constantly throwing us all of these to-dos that will help us justify our lives. We're we're engaged in a constant war to make straight the bent. Uh, But if if your reason for doing what you're doing is because you think it's going to straighten your life, you're only going to have despair and disappointment. You can't do it. Even if you make it straight, the, 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 crease, <laughs> the crease of the bend is still there, for goodness sakes. Uh, and so, you know, just in case you missed it in all the rules before, uh, the final never is to just slam it in your face. And, in fact, at one point there's a, there's a um, what do you call it, a, a table, a chart, where we, sh- we use all the other rules, we put them together and ask what do they have in common to come to this, uh, this, this, this uh not decision, the conclusion, uh, that it really is a matter of justification. And in this way, then, for Christians, you know, the Lutherans weren't so far off when they said the article of faith on which the Church stands or falls, on which Christianity breaks or thrives, is the article on how are you justified? How do you stand in your life? 
uh, particularly before God, but then what does that mean? When I stand innocent before God, uh, suddenly my relationship with my neighbor has been redeemed as well. Whereas if I stand uh, condemned before God, uh, having to justify myself, having to fix myself, I suddenly start using my neighbor as an idol in order to fix my world. He's one more rung on the ladder for me to climb. So even when I love him, I don't love him. I love him for myself. Yeah, he's Uh, he's useful to you. And and so you're just using him in order to justify yourself. You know, I've been re- I've been reading a book by, called Three Free Sins by Steve Brown, and he identifies that as the, our core problem: self justification. And, and this this everything else that that goes on with us stems from this one thing: we seek to justify ourselves. I, I think that this is not just before God, but also before man. Not justifying yourself by appearing to keep the rules and that sort of thing. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, the Reverend Jonathan Fisk right after this. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. cartwheels across the floor I was feeling kind of seasick Bobby. And I'm Cal Naughton Jr. We form an alliance on the racetrack to win races, but today we're forming an alliance to talk to you about a very serious, important issue. Packs of stray wild dogs that control most of the cities in North America. Remember, stray dogs are not your friend. However, if you see one, walk right up to it and lay down. If it starts to sniff you, that's a good sign. If it begins to bite, you're in trouble, friend. Grab a pole. Find your fortune falling all over town. Be sure that your umbrella is up, 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 upside down. And Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Frank Dino And I continue to be Bill Sforlo. You know, it's nice to have Magic Man and El Diablo, the shake and bake guys themselves. You know, those, those, those stray dogs are a problem. They really are. And they are really, really ruling for you. But we're not the God, the dog whispers. We are the God whispers. You know, uh, my father-in-law just got bit by a dog yesterday. Uh, Rufus? No, the neighbor's dog on the other side of the fence. Irritated by Rufus. He went to uh, shore up the fence and stuck his hand over the fence to, to and that dog grabbed it. Well, he shouldn't have been uh, 
needing ground beef before he yeah, did that. Yeah, well, he probably will go for a skin graft tomorrow. Because oh, nasty. Really got it. That's, that's yeah. nasty. Yeah. Been all day in the cat would never do that to you. Well, no, they got those little needle teeth. They'll be punctured. Like, You'll be punctured, yes. You'll yeah. be punctured to death. Hey, we have on the line the Reverend Jonathan Fisk. We're talking about Author of Broken. Oh, Broken. Broken. Swear the likes to say. Jonathan, before we get back into it, I've got a question for you. Uh, this is uh, published by Concordia Publishing House, correct? Yes. And they're notorious for not not marketing outside of Lutheranism. Are they actually going to try to get this book into Christian bookstores and that sort of thing? Or uh, is it going to be uh, Internet viral marketing? Or do you know anything about the marketing of this book? This is my pet yeah. peeve with CPH right here. Yeah, well, that's, well that, that's the goal uh, is to is to put Lutheranism's best foot forward in a way that, again, doesn't say you got to be Lutheran to read the book, but um, takes a little more, I guess you'd call it a Rosenblatnian approach uh, to try to infuse uh, some of the evangelical world with some of our best distinctions, in this case, law and gospel and, and justification. Uh, now, you know, how, whether they want it or are going to be able to get it in Christian bookstores, you know, we talked at the start of the show about, you know, being a sensation in the LCMS, you know, but uh, when, you, when you got a, a a book on a shelf in a Christian bookstore, that means it's sold uh, thousands upon thousands, if not uh, hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, and uh, it, is, it is all about the Benjamins uh, in uh, <laughs> the money in, in that game. So I don't know how successful we'll be on getting in the stores, but certainly the, the hope that through the Internet um, uh, we'll be able to get it started at least. I know that they're uh, going to make a play of it at the uh, Society for Biblical Literature, uh, which is a big pastors kind of uh, gathering. And, again, if you get this in the hands of pastors, there's a good chance they get it in the hands of their people as well. So um, the goal is there. Uh, this, this is a new game a little bit, though, and, and how, how successful it will be has a number of factors that play into it. But certainly what I'm praying for, I mean, I, I didn't write the book to make uh, Lutherans just happy to be Lutheran. I mean, certainly I, you want that, too. Um, but if, if you t- look at the introduction carefully, this book is for the person who uh, who needs justification and can't find it anywhere and wants to know where it is. Um, that's what this is about. Right. I see this as a very important work, uh, not just for our own youth who need to be reinforced in their own faith when they go off to the universities and other things, but also, you know, to get out what Lutherans are really all about. And I think that you do a pretty pretty good job with that in this book. But the question is, are we going to actually get it out beyond the Lutheran walls? And, and I really hope that uh, there's a real successful campaign to, to get this out. Let's get back to the book, Bill. You had, uh, <laughs> you had uh, a, a question there that you were chomping at the bit. Squeal like a pig for me. Yeah. Uh, the, um, uh, you know, I was just thinking, uh, he, uh, Jonathan was talking about uh, small markets and, and how we tend to think small. You know, we think 500 hits is viral. Certainly, we we at the God Whispers do. Well, uh, we we think a dozen is viral. So yeah, that's, that's pretty good. But but you know, we we being the the promoters of bacon, and we all we all know, bacon experiences shrinkage. I'm just saying. Okay, so anyway, never number one, never follow a rule that follows your liver. Let's not even talk about my liver. <laughs> that's just not. <laughs> that's. Uh, your heart, your pancreas, and we're talking the innards here, um, or any other bodily organ, which we're not going to mention because we are not under a homeschooler alert. We we can do that. Though. Well, no, let's 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 just not mention. <laughs> Attention. 
The following segment contains a home schooler alert. Attention. The following segment contains a home schooler alert. Inquire no more, you feral beast. I, I never I never get tired of Dawn's voice. It, it took many takes, but she nailed it. Oh man. She nailed it. Your pancreas or any other bodily organ. Let the reader understand that could conceivably have its mind changed by the shifting of the wind. What on earth are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. You want you want the straight answer or you want the long, windy path to get there? Uh, short and simple, you can just cut out all of it. Never follow a rule that follows your heart. Uh, don't let your emotions be your guide. Uh, mysticism, uh, the belief that somehow I can feel my way to truth. Truth feels right, falsehood feels wrong. And so however I happen to feel, that's, that's what uh, must be true. And so you got this uh, old phrase from the evangelical world, I got a, I got a, a liver quiver or a shiver in my liver, um, the burning in the bosom and so forth. And so, well, so once you got your liver and your heart in the title, I mean, what better organ can you think of to mention? I'm sure you can. But uh, I, I think the pancreas is about as obscure as you're going to get, so you can throw that one in. And then the point of all, though, is uh, it can be shifted. You know, however your <laughs> however that was your just, heart that was just Henning, Henning's hernia exam. We were <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right. Shifting uh, certain parts of the body for sure with the hernia exam. The, um... <laughs> it rubs the lotion on its skin. Or... <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah, the, it uh... really is. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the part, problem with your emotions is they move, and so whatever way the wind blows, it's going to affect your emotions. Uh, there is a story in this particular chapter about a young man who I call Emo Dan, who is uh, a real-life story out of a movie I had to try to teach to junior high school youth on, on Vicarage. The video was, was sold by Bluefish TV, which I believe comes out of Rick Warren's church. Does, uh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, it does? Bluefish comes out of Warren's operation? I, I think they're Saddleback. I mean, I don't quote me on that. You might want to go do the research. But if I recall, back at the time when I was looking at this video, I did a little look at it at Saddleback. Um, so either way, Emo Dan's this kid who's trying to convince all the other kids who are watching the video with you as the pastor that, uh, or as the vicar, uh, that God is real and you can trust in God because he's real. And so he tells this story about how he's, uh, having a really hard day at school. Just, just, you know, people don't like him and stuff. So he's walking home across a playground and, and it's one of those bright, shiny days when, when the cloud suddenly comes over the sun. It's like it, it changes the, uh, the light density by, you know, a significant amount. Suddenly it looks like it's darkness because the cloud covered the sun. And in that moment, he, all his doubts came rocking home to him. Maybe God didn't care about him at all. Maybe God wasn't even real. It was just a, a terrible, terrible, uh, attack of doubt. But then, uh, then the sun came back out, you know, within 30 seconds, and he could feel the sun on his face, and he remembered uh, that, that he knew uh, God loved him because he could just feel in that moment uh, how the creation itself was singing the praises of God and all this stuff. So th- well, th- this is it, what we, we Lutherans simply call schwermerei, enthusiasm, uh, all this other stuff that is not yeah. of the objective external word, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, literally, this poor kid it was putting his faith in the wind. <laughs> you know, one second the wind blows a cloud over the sun, God's not there. 
the wind changes direction, sun comes out, God is there. I, I think I also mock him a little bit about uh, you know being a Greek pagan. The Greek pagans actually worshipped the sun. They just got got the middlemen out of the way and said, "Well, the sun's God, <laughs> uh, Apollos," and he was pretty pretty cool God at that. Um, yeah, but uh, the, the, again, the point of it all being that if you're looking for your experiences in this present world to be your foundation, your rock upon which you justify yourself, upon which you know where God is or how God feels about you, uh, it can be changed in the blink of an eye by the shifting of anything. You know, your bodily organs aren't always moved by the wind, but uh, eat a bad burrito and, and you know how that goes. And, um, and yet, how many people do we hear in, in our own churches? I don't, I don't know what your experience is, but, you know, they'll, they'll go to some retreat. They'll go to some conference. They'll go visit their sister's church somewhere, and they'll talk about how they could really feel the presence of God mm, at work yes, in that place. Lovely. Yep. You know, yep. and, and like you try to unpack that. What does that mean? What does the presence of God feel like? And, and it, it's always a subjective answer. Well, if you don't know, see, then you haven't experienced it. Yeah. Okay. It feels good. That's yeah. what it, it feels good. I feel good here. This thing makes me feel good. Therefore, it's God. And you don't have to, you know, put God's name on it, but that's what Christians will do with it when we make it a quote-unquote Christian rule. I mean, uh, all sorts of people are seeking to prove their truth through their feelings. You talk to anybody on the streets, they don't think anymore; they feel. Right? So, so your first um, never, your ahead, first, your first never really is about protecting people or getting them onto the external word, getting them out of their yeah. insides. And, yep. and, and on to where the action really is. The spiritual action is, is, is in the Word coming at you from outside. Well, what, yeah. you, what you're talking about, Jonathan, here is exactly why I quit Christianity, why I left the evangelical world, is uh, that experiential thing got so exhausting. I couldn't live the victorious Christian life. I couldn't maintain the long-term mountaintop experience. There was always the valley below. And, and this is the sort of faith that you're writing about a lot here, that is really the one step away from checking out of the faith altogether. That's right. It'll crush you. It does. Because if you're told to put your faith in a God who you can feel, what happens when you can't feel him? Or what happens when your life goes to pot? You know, yeah. oh, hey, hey you. Don't, don't bring up my college days, okay? I mean, I'm just, you know, come on. I'm the dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where would uh, we be without the big Lebowski? That's really you, the question. Human paraquat. <laughs> By the way, Bluefish TV is a nonprofit Christian video publishing company based in Richardson, Texas. Bluefish oh, really? TV works okay. with well-known Christian speakers and authors like Erwin McManus, Don Miller, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it was founded. Let's uh, 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 let's see. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not nice. My computer just did. President. Let's see. Martin M- Marty Mosley. Uh, it was started in 1987 by Marty Mosley and his wife, Jackie Mosley, who began writing and producing video-based Bible studies specifically for youth groups and young adults. So they're, they're not connected, apparently, with uh, Saddleback. Good to know. Yeah. Um, all I know them for is very, very annoying telemarketing calls at about 2.30 in the <laughs> afternoon when I'm just trying to get my work done and get home. So, uh, yeah. but, but anyway. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's You're bu- a pastor. You want to buy our videos because you like youth, right? You know, I, I, uh, I love basically telling them I'm the pastor. I have absolutely no dollar authority at this church whatsoever. We're, <laughs> we're Lutherans, okay? Get, get, the, get the picture. Yeah. Yeah, we're pietists, and that means cheap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, it's this justification thing like you were talking about. The only thing that we like better than cheap is free. 
Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. we're grace alone people. Never number two, never follow a rule that wasn't written in stone a very, very long time ago. Doubly so if the grass is only greener on the other side because it's made of plastic. I'm so confused. Yeah, but the uh, uh, <laughs> the plastic is a reference to uh, to a story in the book that is attempting to illustrate how easy it is for us as humans to make up uh, little to do laws, uh, rules about how we should actually act with our hands in order to fix the world, uh, because we think if we do, then the grass will be greener. Right, uh, I see where my neighbor has in his life, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna fix my world to be like that. Or I, maybe I have a vision, I have a dream of what life could be. So I'm gonna set up these little rules. I'm gonna follow, and if I follow all the little rules the right way, if I check the T's, dot the I's, do the push-ups, whatever you want to call it, uh, then eventually the grass will be greener where I'm at. But by doing this, we create an entire morality that is that is entirely uh, self-centered, uh, self-directed. Uh, and then it, it, once we find we can't keep it, that the rules aren't working, we, we break the rules, we bend the rules, at least for ourselves. So we're, we will often hold other people to the rules that we made up that, that uh, nobody else is following, including ourselves. Um, but we'll bend them, we'll try to lower the bar and so forth. Uh, this is something called uh, moralism, uh, to trust in my hands, uh, to trust in my works in the most literal kind of way, uh, to be able to make this world good, uh, whatever good happens to be. And uh, so the chapter goes into you know dealing with that sort of uh, just pagan kind of moralism, uh, good works orientedism, but then also talks a little bit about the, the Ten Commandments themselves. Those are the rules that are written in stone. So if you're going to follow rules because you think you're going to get justified by them, at least follow the ones that God came down, took his finger and wrote in stone. Uh, don't, don't make up stuff. Um, but even those really ultimately cannot uh, save you. So that's so the doubly so if it's your own rules. Um, this, again, is a justification question, but it's in the realm of moralism and or that which I do with my hands. Uh, and trying to separate, you talk pietism, separate the, uh, the pursuit of my own personal piety uh, as the answer to my problems in life. Uh, not that piety is bad, but me as the answer, uh, that's a bad thing. I find that practically we in the Lutheran Church do this by looking out and seeing, seeing what is effective out there, what's bringing the people in, and then we start to imitate imitation Christianity, but then we try to put a Lutheran spin on it. And uh, we've, we fall short on this sort of thing. We end up being some sort of Lutheranized pietistic, works righteousness, moralist in the long run, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it, we'll get into that very kind of idea more in the third never, and then I think it's in the uh, the fifth never, uh, where it really deals with the church and, and how these things happen in the church where we try to find this silver bullet, uh, the rule of, of silver bullet churchology. The one thing we can do to make our churches work the way they're really supposed to, that no one else before has ever figured out, and it's all been ruined before us, but we're going to figure out, we're going to get it right this time. And so you end up starting over and starting over and starting over and starting over and starting over until you just wear yourself out of trying to find that silver bullet uh, to make the, the wear church, you know, the monster church, turn into the, uh, the prosperous, beautiful church you want it to be. Uh, when uh, the church was never meant to be a prosperous, beautiful dancing girl, she's your, she's your mom. Uh, you know, she's an old lady in a wheelchair singing a song of Jesus to you. So for sure there's that, and, and then the idea of pragmatism, again, and that comes in never number three a little bit, about uh, if we can think our way into the right answers. Um, you know, these, these rules overlap. It's not like any of them are happening just one by itself, but they're, they're different patterns of thought. 
And so the, the thrust here uh, with, with uh, the rules written in stone, number number two, moralism, is that it's going to be about your hands ultimately. You're going to do something to fix your life as opposed to feel something to fix your life and as opposed to never number three is going to get us into thinking something that fixes your life by using your brain to, to find truth. Never number three, never follow a rule just because it makes sense, especially if it promises to work because it makes sense. And especially, especially, there's two especiallys in there, and the second is italicized. If it either contains the words spirit, Ted, oh, gas. That should be lead. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no, it is spirit-led. These are, it's, I, I'm, I'm in that mid-range between where my reading glasses and my eyeballs work unassisted. It's spirit-led. Right. You know your rules. I, that's very good. Or can be uh, entirely explained by a Petri dish full of midi-chlorians. Yeah. Star Wars. That's uh, depressing. <laughs> do, do either of you guys know what midi-chlorians are? Star Wars. Craig does. Oh, good, he watch, he good. watches movies. Star Wars. I don't watch movies. Yeah, I'm not a movie. You person. gotta watch movies, and it's Minichlorian sums up in one word the reason and the way in which uh, George Lucas ostracized the entire generation that originally loved his films. Um, uh, they are in, they're, they're the way that he explains the Force. You know, in um, in, uh, in the, uh, the original Star Wars, Star Wars movie, movie ever, the Force. The it, yeah, he he blew it, didn't he? That, oh, big that's time. where yeah. he introduced Jar Jar Binks. Also, he should have been shot. For <laughs> yeah, <that>. Jar Jar <laughs> over the line. Problem: Midichlorians is the deeper issue, the the, the rotten root. So, if, if the force in the in the original movies is all about your feelings, right? You remember when Luke in the first movie is is flying at the Death Star and Ben Kenobi's dead, and he's trying to use his targeting computer to, to send a torpedo in. No, you unplug that baby and trust the force, man. That's right. He says, "Close Let go, your eyes. Luke. Trust your." Feelings. I, I drive yeah. that way on the LA freeway all the time. I just close my eyes, close your eyes. set the cruise control, <laughs> take my hands off the wheel, and I just. And you know what? Given the other drivers, it kind of works. Well, given that work. you live in the middle of Little Korea here, it, it's no, no, not anyway, not Korea. So I, I, I am China. Little, little. Uh, I, I am Asian. in a in a great, uh, perfect storm of bad driving. <laughs> it's I, I've awful. I've got I've got you know Chinese immigrants and Mexican immigrants, and they're both really bad drivers, but for different reasons. And so you know, I just set up a, a folding lawn chair in my front lawn and 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 uh, drink beers, and it's like demolition derby night in Nebraska. <laughs> And the God Whispers becomes racist program number one. It's truth. Yes. It's truth telling. It's you know you you say it yourself every time you come here when you commute from your your mom's basement. Over the line. <laughs> hey, Jonathan. Um, you know, am I alone here, or do you do you pick up a lot of transformational language in our circles these days? And does that spook you at all? Uh, in in I, it seems like I see it in youth stuff. I see it in these transforming congregation things. This, sure. Uh, I see it in this in the political sphere, the Christian activism to transform society and stuff like that. Is this is this kind of part and parcel of this rule number number three here? 
Not, not as much this rule, although you're picking up on it, and I do see that. I think that's more the uh, what well, we get into rule number five. Um, kind of so going on that tangent, though, for sure uh, there is this transformational uh, justifying going on. And, and what has always been telling to me about that language is uh, this really beautiful old book that a lot of uh, common LCMSers don't like anymore, written by a guy named F. A. Meyer, uh, called uh, Church Body. Oh, no, I forget, religious Body. In America. Oh, that's a classic. He, that thing is that thing's yeah. a classic. It's yeah. it still works. You know, it, it yeah. it's it's dated uh, in, to a sense that it doesn't have like the latest and weirdest cults in there. No, but but when it comes to religious groups, I mean, it is a thorough analysis. Except more. Yes, and he, he takes each tradition of Christianity, and one of the things he does is he gives you what he calls the material principle. Right. Which by that he means the thing they actually think is the most important thing. The, the lens through which all theology is read. The core teaching, and, if you will, or the chewy nougat center. Yes. It always comes and back so to Lutherans, food. It is, it is justification by grace through faith. Well, yeah. guess what? A transformed life is a material principle of a church body or, or a group. The Baptists. Go figure. Mm. Uh, you know, the most dominant tradition in American history, when it merges with Methodism especially, is the one that is actually having their material principle take root, even in the secular sphere. Uh, you know, the, the Anabaptist uh, as well, the, this rejection of the past to fix the world now, because we're really the city on the hill, we really got the manifest destiny, and, and we, we just keep picking up on this over and over again. That's, again, where the uh, rule number five goes, is that the thing is, every generation comes along and thinks they're going to really do it right this time, uh, and then we don't, and then our kids get all angry about it and say, well, no, we're going to do it right. They're kind of uh, like and diet and exercise. It's sort of like diet and exercise programs. Yeah, you know, they work for right. a while, but in the end, you're fatter, and you just buy the next one. You kind of move on. But it, it is lucrative business, though. This, this... Oh, too. yeah, absolutely, because you can always sell a new thing. Oh, and we, that's what the whole Christian publishing industry really is about. Uh, is <laughs> Which you are about you to enter. <laughs> you know, I mean, isn't, isn't this book kind of subversive in a way? Because the hope is that it's going to occupy some piles of, of uh, there'll be piles of books in Christian bookstores, uh, basically subverting the very thing they sell. How long is that going to go on before they catch wind of this? Yeah, well, yeah, they might. I don't know. If it sells, see, for them, it's all about pragmatism anyway. If it sells, then we're going to sell it. Ah. Uh, and so, it, 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 which is the thing is, is this isn't going to sell. Uh, truth doesn't sell. Uh, it doesn't make money. Uh, it is the cross, uh, which is another thing. I want to pull us back to this never number three, though, and try to finish up the, the so the midichlorians thing, right? So, so Lucas and Star Wars, it was all about your feelings, but the new movies. He took it from this, this realm in which Luke is praying torpedoes into Death Stars, and he explains it all away by teaching that, uh, uh, that the Force really isn't this pure energy field that you just get to by your, your juju, but is, your connection to it is through these, uh, these bacteria called midichlorians that live in your cells. And the more of these bacteria you have, the more of the Force you can actually manipulate. Oh, good and grief. So he's than he's being a like naturalist. Force being like I got juju, it's that I have you know, a really bad infection. Uh, and he explains away the Force, right? Ah, so this, uh, this fits in nicely with the movement, the pre-Enlightenment, post-Enlightenment move from religion to science, as it were. So, yes. so that yes. he's, he, he becomes, uh, over, over the, the course of the movies, he becomes a naturalist. 
That's right. So, so That's this right. is a naturalistic explanation for what previously was a religious force. Yes. Oh. And, and I, waste, I waste a lot of time in the book explaining this Star Wars analogy because I think it really is helpful. The reason those first three succeeded the way they did is our culture was ready for mysticism. It's the end of the 60s. We're, we're past World War One, World War Two. The uh, postmodernism is really getting its thrust, um, and postmodernism um, is just old romanticism. Um, and what? he hits mysticism with these movies in ways that had never been done before. And then he sells out. <laughs> I, I believe, and he gets rid of it. I, and speaking here from personal experience, I believe the first Star Wars movie was 1977? Six. 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 I'm pretty yeah. sure. Six. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to say. Now, let, let me say it this, was, Jonathan. Here's what I remember. It, it was kind of a haze. And 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 I'm you know I'm not really clear on on exactly the time and the place, but I was in Morristown, New Jersey at the I'm time. I'm the dude. <laughs> yeah, well, that was see that was part of the problem. Uh, you know, staying at Fairleigh Dickinson University, working an internship for Allied Chemical at a time, and me and my roomie went out to see the first Star Wars movie, and we were deeply impressed. Although I will say, 2001: A Space Odyssey still better. Oh, dude, no. I'm, t- I'm the dude. Hello. So that's oh, what you it, call it, me. This is so good, though, uh, 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 Bill, because the, the, that, that like shows you the difference. Space Odyssey was still a rationalistic, we haven't even gotten to that word yet, a, a rational modern movie. It's a modern telling of the future. Very much so. And, uh, Very much so. Yeah. Classic, classic yeah. science fiction of the 1960s. Jonathan, I was, and, I was 12 years old when Star Wars came out. Let me tell you why it was awesome. Lasers, spaceships. Princess Leia. Princess Leia in the golden bikini. Oh, yeah. I'm telling Golden you. Bikini. Yeah. Forget you about all your philosophy swords. here. That's what it's all but about. But so it, it, it also, though, as opposed to 2001 A Space Odyssey, being this modern, thoroughly modern movie is thoroughly postmodern. It is a, a, a cowboy western set in science fiction future. Two very different uh, worldviews and ways of looking at the world. Well, and let's let's just face it, okay? In the world of filmmaking, there's only one, or actually only two guys that can pull something like that off, and it's not George Lucas; it's the Coen Brothers. Ooh. Yeah. See, they could do yeah. that. Mm. A spaghetti western set in space, lots of gratuitous violence and uh, drug use. Yeah, yeah. I'm all o- I'm <laughs> all over that. Jedi man. monks. Yeah, right. the, um, <laughs> there you go. There's, there's theories out there. Is that anybody the going to do the Dune trilogy? In spite of Lucas's best efforts, that uh, it was the the uh, the control that was pressed upon him by almost every every side he was facing uh, that forced a good movie out. And the more freedom he got to do what he wanted, the worse the movies get. Jonathan, uh, we we have just about a minute left. I want to make sure that you get a shout out for your YouTube channel. Website. You can buy the book right now as we record it at Concordia. Well, pre order, right? It's not out yet. Is that correct? Yeah, pre order, pre order. CPH.org. Yep, it's currently on sale for twelve ninety nine. but when this show airs in two or three weeks from when we record it, oh, who, who knows? knows? But what about your other information, Jonathan? Very quickly. Yeah, sure. Uh, Facebook.com slash Worldview Everlasting. You can get more information about the book there as well as all of the uh, the, the show video podcasts are, are put there. You can also go to WorldviewEverlasting.com where you not only can get the videos, but there's a few other pastors that answer some of the email questions that come in that I can't get to. So it's a good place if you've got a question about uh, any kind of theology. There's a tag cloud there. You can find some good Lutheran answers, or I should say good biblical answers uh, to your questions. Um, yeah. Very good. Thanks for being with us, Jonathan. Always look on the right side of life. If life's a 
Good night, Dad. Bye, Mr. McKenzie. Fine, go. You've stayed your hour. 